Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Brent Palm, and Ashley Walker. We're going to delve into what's happening in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, Minnesota is home to the world's largest pumpkin, stopping the spread of chronic wasting disease on or near tribal lands. It's almost open enrollment time for health insurance, but first. Minnesota got a lot of attention on the national political scene this week on two totally different fronts. And Eminence Bill Werner is here with a recap for us. Tasha, the eyes of the politically active around the country were on 6th District Minnesota Congressman Tom Emmer when the majority whip emerged as front runner at the beginning of the week as U.S. House Republicans continued trying to elect a speaker to replace Kevin McCarthy, ousted by right-wing members of his caucus at the beginning of the month. Emmer had the endorsement of McCarthy, who on Meet the Press called the Minnesota Republican head and shoulders above all those others and said, we need to get him elected this week. But there were glaring problems with doing that, flagged by Carleton College political analyst Stephen Shear, who noted Republicans who deposed McCarthy are probably suspicious of Emmer as well. How you win them over is unclear because they haven't been winnable by anybody associated with Kevin McCarthy. Hamlin University analyst David Schultz pointed out when the vote came to certify Joe Biden as the winner in 2020, Emmer was not willing to go along with former President Donald Trump's claim of a stolen election. And that puts him on the outs with Trump and presumably on the outs with the Freedom Caucus. He's going to need at least some of those votes. Politico reported Trump was concerned because Emmer had not forcefully defended the former president against the indictments he's facing and because Emmer criticized Trump after the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol. Tom Emmer is the perfect compromise candidate if people want to compromise. But I don't think they do at this point, and we've already seen that through several votes. Said analyst Schultz. Emmer talked to Trump and posted a thank you, Mr. President, but Trump's comments in New Hampshire were non-committal at best. Well, I think he's my biggest fan now because he called me yesterday and he told me I'm your biggest fan, so I don't know about that. Uh, well, we're looking at a lot of people and, you know, I'm sort of trying to stay out of that as much as possible, uh, but they'll get it straightened out. But no, I've always gotten along with him and uh, I get along with all of them, really. Emmer left a closed-door forum Monday night with the Republican conference nomination for House Speaker. But it never even got as far as a floor vote that pundits predicted would have been dicey for Emmer anyway. That because a Truth Social post by former President Trump torpedoed Emmer's chances. The former president wrote, quote, I have many wonderful friends wanting to be Speaker of the House, and some are truly great warriors. Rhino, Republican in name only, Tom Emmer, who I do not know well, is not one of them. He never respected the power of a Trump endorsement or the breadth and scope of Make America Great Again. The former president said he believes Emmer, quote, has now learned his lesson because he is saying that he is pro-Trump all the way, but who can ever be sure? Next day, Republicans elected a lesser-known member to lead the chamber, Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson, a vocal supporter of Trump and analysts say a key player in attempts in Congress to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Trump saying, quote, I think he's going to be a fantastic speaker. Minnesota 7th District Congresswoman Michelle Fishbach called Johnson a proven conservative who will, quote, lead Congress from a position of strength as we continue to fight for the values of American families and against the left's spending spree and extreme woke priorities. 
A spokesman for the Minnesota DFL party said every Minnesota Republican in the U.S. House will be held accountable for electing a speaker who, quote, has voted to cut Social Security and Medicare and who wants to ban abortion nationwide, including in Minnesota. After Tom Emmer's brief dip into the national spotlight at the beginning of the week, the end of the week saw another Minnesotan in the national political news, 3rd District Congressman Dean Phillips, filing for the New Hampshire primary in a challenge to President Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination. Let's get two top analysts' take on Phillips' prospects. First, we asked Stephen Shear from Carleton College. Joe Biden is the presumptive nominee. There are folks who... I have some qualms about it along the very points that uh, that Dean Phillips is making, age, right, and, and some other right, some other right. factors. But how does he does he get any traction on that without just totally burning his bridges politically? Well, that yeah, he may have made a calculated uh, decision that it's more important for him to uh, encourage an alternative to Joe Biden than to remain as a Congress member from. Uh, Minnesota for the long term. It could well be that. Um, On the other hand, uh, he may be doing it uh, just to encourage other candidates and may drop out later and still run for re-election in Minnesota. Carleton College analyst Stephen Shear. Now let's get a read from Hamlin University's David Schultz. For so many Democrats, well over a majority, who have some concerns about Joe Biden in terms of his age and his support is somewhat squishy, potentially Dean Phillips offers an alternative. Now, the question, of course, is going to be, you know, can he achieve the, um, you know, some time of some type of victory early on in New Hampshire or in one of the other early states that might either propel him or lead to a scenario where Joe Biden doesn't do as well as he thought he was going to do and winds up dropping out of the race, you know, sometime early next year. So it, it could change the dynamics. And I think about it in politics. Politics is so much about perception. And right now the perception is that Joe Biden has, has a lock on the nomination. If Phillips can mount a credible challenge, this could change the dynamic in terms of obviously the Democratic nomination. And then, of course, could change the dynamics in terms of presidential election if, if he were to actually uh, uh, either get the nomination or dislodge Joe Biden from the nomination. Hamlin University analyst David Schultz. Governor Tim Walz says, quote, we're going to have our nominee in President Biden, and that will get done and we'll move on. Minnesota DFL Party Chairman Ken Martin says Phillips is not going to end up finding the support he needs. Quote, I think it'll be like a cold glass of water thrown in his face. Dasha? Thanks, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... Could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. 
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters, I'm Tasha Radel. The University of Minnesota and three Native communities are joining forces to stop the spread of chronic wasting disease on and near tribal lands. On this week's show, Eminence Brent Palm learns that deer are sacred to these people and they're developing one of the first tribal CWD management plans in the nation. All right, Tiffany Wolf with the University of Minnesota College of Veterinary Medicine. Hey, thanks for joining us today. Happy to join you. Well, I received a release from the University of Minnesota about a groundbreaking project, collaboration, like you folks might call it. Several tribal nations in Minnesota combining forces with the U of M to apparently try to stop the spread of chronic wasting disease. Well, we've been working with... um several of our Minnesota tribal agencies, tribal natural resource agencies, um, to conduct surveillance, hunter harvested surveillance um, for, the, for the hunters that are hunting on tribal lands. Um, and this has been going on for the past um, four years, three years, four years now. Um, but there's a recognition that even though surveillance has been conducted on tribal lands, and up to this point, no CWD has been detected in tribal hunter-harvested deer. Um, if that were to happen, right now, these tribes don't have management plans in place on how they're going to respond um, and, and deal with that situation if CWD were detected on tribal lands. Um, and so, uh, because there's been no um, no other tribes that, to our knowledge, that have an existing CWD management plan, um, we've decided to help uh, managers of of tribes to to work on drafting a plan, and and we wanted to do this in a way that really um, obtains a lot of community input on management of of CWD. Um, in deer on tribal lands, what that might look like. What are the opportunities and the barriers to managing CWD on tribal lands? Um, and so that's really how this started. There were there were three Minnesota tribes that um, stepped on up to the plate to work on this. That's White Earth, Leech Lake, and Red Lake. And they really um, wanted to do this because of the fact that CWD has been recently detected in Hubbard County. Um, in an area that is very close to all three of those tribal nations. Yeah, I think, was there one near Bemidji as well? I thought there was one near Bemidji as well. There was there was a farm, yes, um, outside of Bemidji that tested positive and has been depopulated. Um, that farm, uh, in, or in association with that farm, there was an a area on public land where it was determined that carcasses had been dumped there, some of which were CWD positive carcasses. So yes, um, all of both of these situations combined um, were certainly a concern for each of these uh, tribal natural resource agencies and, and thus um, there was a lot of interest in, in putting together some draft management plans so that they would know how they, they would respond um, if in the future Um, And hopefully it not be the case that if in the future any of their tribal members harvested CWD-positive deer. 
obviously in Minnesota, we have a DNR that's very involved with this too. And I know, you know, some of the first cases were way down in the Southeast, but like you said, we've had Hubbard. I think there was a wild one near Grand Rapids that had a lot of folks in that Northern part of the state, especially concerned. So, and obviously these tribes, uh, they depend on the deer, right? Absolutely. Um, these, what we hear over and over from tribal members and tribal hunters is that this is not uh, hunting is not recreation for them. This is part of their traditional subsistence strategies. Um, deer and the the products that they get from deer are important and part of their ceremonial practices. And so, um, management of CWD is really about trying to preserve that resource and protect that part of their culture and tradition. And I'm guessing that you guys have access to Minnesota DNR statistics and and plans as well? Yep, all of the DNR surveillance, those results are online, and we've been um, monitoring that over time. And I'm part of the Minnesota Center for Prion Research and Outreach, and we work very closely with the DNR as along with the tribes in Minnesota. And we've been very involved in the situation related to the Beltrami carcass dump site as well to try and understand what kind of local environmental impact that has. Hey, Tiffany, do we have any timelines or goals when we might want to have a plan ready to go? Like you said, we want to do it before CWD arrives. Right. I think that our managers would like to have had a plan in place yesterday <laughs> or before hunting see this past hunting season already started. It's a complicated process to pull this together because we're really looking to the community to understand their needs and how a management plan is really going to impact their membership. So, so this is a process that certainly takes time, but we're hopeful that we can try and get something ready for them before the end of the year, before the end of the season. Okay, and I'm guessing they probably have their own hunting seasons. They certainly do. It's a, it's a bit longer hunting season, but they absolutely have their own hunting season and, and hunting rules as, as sovereign nations. Well, it sounds like an interesting collaboration, uh, Tiffany Wolf, and good luck to you folks, and maybe we'll check back in the future and, and see how things are going maybe toward the end of the year if you guys do get a plan developed up there. Yes, that would be great. We would we would love to to be able to share more about this process and 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 hopefully we'll see some success at the end of it. Such an interesting story. Thanks, Brent. More Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel. Let's face it, health insurance is complicated. Many Minnesotans are thinking about it at open enrollment time, and others contemplating retirement have an even more daunting decision when choosing a Medicare option that's right for them. MN's Bill Werner talked with Brian Eck, Vice President of Sales at UCARE in Minneapolis, and Joe Faring, financial advisor and health insurance agent at Faring Financial in Blue Earth, about Medicare supplement plans, what they are, and why you might want to consider one. 
this is a time of year when a lot of Minnesotans are, are thinking about health insurance because we have open enrollments coming up for uh, not only Minsure but uh, uh, corporate company plans uh, this particular time of the year. Medicare is a little different animal, as it were. Folks are going to be making those decisions throughout the year, as I understand. Uh, Medicare does not, just as it stands, uh, does not cover everything. And, and what kinds of things does it not cover? Medicare is a, a Medicare supplement plan coordinates with traditional Medicare to cover some of the out-of-pocket costs that an individual would normally see if they strictly had uh, traditional Medicare. Uh, that said, Medicare has never been designed to cover everything. There are certain things like prescription drugs, dental care, um, vision and eyewear, that if somebody wants to have insurance coverage for those, they would need to purchase additional insurance coverage for that. What Medicare supplements are very good for is as for travel and for portability. Generally speaking, uh, anywhere in the U.S., somebody who uh, wants to, uh, to or a provider, medical provider, uh, uh, accepts uh, Medicare, that individual with a Medicare supplement can receive medical services there. So there's no networks that they need to be concerned about, um, particularly for folks in, in kind of greater Minnesota where the nearest clinic might be a few and far between. Uh, being able to access really anybody who's most convenient for you simplifies the, the process to, to a very great extent. In addition, since there's no network, if somebody does need a higher level of care, really any specialist that accepts Medicare is also available to folks, not only here in the backyard, but if they're traveling anywhere in the U.S., they have that, that access. That's, that's very important to a lot of people. I appreciate you mentioning this network issue because that concerns a lot of people. So the, the takeaway on that question is that if, uh, if a provider uh, accepts Medicare, then a supplemental plan to, uh, uh, to, to provide additional benefits beyond Medicare, then that plan also would be effective with that particular provider. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, okay. uh, we look at it as it's it's a it's a very portable type of plan. It it travels well with the individual when they're in the U.S. Even overseas, uh, there's coverage for medical emergencies that that somebody might run into. Now, these I think in, in the vernacular are called Medigap plans, right? I think that's kind of, kind of the term that was used. But there's different options, and one of the things that we were talking about, uh, one of the reasons we're here today, is to talk about the Medicare supplement plan, which UCare offers. Uh, how, how is this different from other options such as Medicare Advantage, which I, I know that I know that UCARE offers as well? But uh, give us a compare and contrast on those, would you? Yeah, yeah, there is a difference. So think of Medicare Advantage as being a plan that takes Part A, Part B, and Part D of Medicare, puts them all into one coordinated package and provides coverage coverage for that. Um, generally speaking, uh, a Medicare Advantage plan might have a lower premium, but by and large, uh, folks may see some higher out-of-pocket costs in terms of co-pays or deductibles. The sorts of things that a Medicare supplement takes care of in traditional Medicare and the individual isn't responsible for. Uh, that also um, allows folks to, I think, kind of be a little, or set their budgets in a little more predictable manner. They know that if they spend that monthly premium for a supplement, that's really about the extent of, of what they'll be they'll need to have a budget for in a, in a given month. Really? So there, so there aren't co-pays and deductibles and all the, the various other things that you might see in a Medicare Advantage plan. Am I understanding you correctly? You are understanding correctly, and that's really the beauty of the, the Medicare Supplement Plan. This, I think, is a good point to bring in Mr. Faring, who's a financial advisor. Um, and because you're talking, Mr. Faring, to, to folks who are considering health insurance and what are their various options, what do you have people look at um, when they're trying to make a decision? Every individual has a different scenario. So generally speaking, medical supplement plans and Medicare Advantage plans have premiums and explain that. But where they differ significantly is the cost of those premiums and the true out-of-pocket cost of the individuals. Mm -hmm. uh, when, when you work with the financial advisor, we look at your monthly costs and the health care needs and preferences. 
and we put together a financial model and look at consideration of all your financial situations and goals. We tie all that together, but we also look at educating the individual. How do we can limit your healthcare insurance costs by analyzing how the premiums will increase now the cost of using each type of Medicare plan will change throughout your lifetime. Typically, uh, medical supplement plans have a predictable cost and you can plan through that throughout the year. Um, but for the most part, the cost of those premiums probably are a little bit higher and will continue to rise over time. How much more expensive is, is a supplement plan as opposed to an Advantage plan? Without getting into specific costs, generally at a supplement plan, uh, typically the premiums more, but the way they work is Medicare picks up 80% of the Medicare approved costs mm-hmm. and your supplement plan picks up the rest. So the bill, generally speaking, is very small or, or negligible to you that that month for that particular thing. When you work with an Advantage plan, uh, typically, generally speaking, again, the the premiums are are less, and that allows you to cash flow a little bit easier. If you never go to the clinic or doctor, you're you've some some savings there. Uh, let's say you go to the doctor, there might be co-pays per doctor or specialist. You simply pay as you go, and it's a pay as you go plan. And people have to realize they work a little bit differently. I think it's very important that you find somebody you, you trust that knows the information, but also can convey and educate you at the same time so you can make a, a, an empowered decision on your own care going forward. Am I also correct, Mr. Eck, that a good starting point would be UCARE as well to contact UCARE? That's correct. We, we certainly can provide some information to folks. Um, we, though, uh, we strongly support our, our, our local, um, uh, local insurance agents and the local financial planners. Um, uh, so I would, I would suggest folks work first with the folks that you know locally, that you trust mm-hmm. locally. We are happy to provide uh, basic information on UCARE and, and the plans that we offer. UCARE has a, a network all across the state of folks that we work with. People can contact us if they're not sure who they should see locally. Or just reach out to, to UCARE directly. We are on the internet at ucare.org backslash supplement for, for more information on these plans. Very good resources. Uh, Brian Eck, Vice President of Sales at UCARE in Minneapolis, thank you very much. Joe Faring, Financial Advisor, Health Insurance Agent at Faring Financial in Blue Earth, Minnesota, thank you both for uh, being with us today and giving us some, uh, some good advice on some important decisions. Thanks, Phil. Such an important topic this time of year. Time for our last break. Stay tuned. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's row construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. Halloween is just days away, and Minnesota's very own Anoka County is not only the Halloween capital of the world, but home to the world's largest pumpkin ever at a mere 2,749 pounds. Eminence Ashley Walker spoke to grower Travis Ginger about his homegrown monster pumpkin he named Michael Jordan. 
This thing started out, well, every year we name it something to remember the year. Well, this thing started out like basketball round. And I was like, it's the year 2023, greatest basketball player ever. What if we name it Michael Jordan? We weren't thinking that it would be the best pumpkin of all time, too, but it was. That's amazing. So it started out just basketball-sized, and now no, it's Basketball huge. round, yeah, and then it just grew to this weird, interesting shape, and it just kept on going. Did oh. you expect it to get this big? Yes. You did? Yes. I okay. did expect it to get this size-wise big. Um, the difference was this one just weighed that heavy, too. Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's more the weight versus the size? Yes. Yep. Um, my one last year was actually slightly bigger than this. It just didn't weigh it. That's so interesting. What makes that difference? So if you go up and hit this pumpkin, dump it, I mean, it's a brick. I mean, it's just dense. So genetics. So you do this for a living too. Yeah, yeah. I teach horticulture and uh, turf and grounds management at Noka Technical College. So this is 24-7. <laughs> this is your life. Yeah, this is my life. And I've done it since I've been little. Ever since I was 12 years old, I've been gardening and growing pumpkins. So... Um, it's, it's been, yeah, a 30-year project to get to this point, I would say. It's more than second nature. <laughs> exactly. You can look at a plant and kind of tell now. Where did you get that from, that kind of, like, niche to grow like this? My family, mostly. My dad was always growing little pumpkins when we were growing up. But uh, just my whole family's a bunch of gardeners and kind of fell with the turf a little bit, so to speak, and just... Tried my hand at growing pumpkins when I was 12, 14 years old. I grew a 447-pounder, uh, which at the time was big, but... Compared to this, almost 3,000 pounds. <laughs> right. That looks like a regular pumpkin. Right. Yep. Yep. They've grown a lot in the day. <laughs> how do, what do you feed this thing? Magic so, milk? What, how do these things get so big? I have a lot of uh, biology that I throw on the soil. I have a lot of different fertilizers, um, potassium, nitrogen, different times of year. And it's just been a little bit of dialing in that recipe now. And now I think I've got it dialed in pretty good. It's just a matter of weather. So would you say that this year was like perfect weather for it? Yeah, minus the big hailstorm that we got. It was pretty good. And then we had a lot of storms right away. So, But I'll take an overall warmer, dry year when I'm growing these things. Okay, so I know that you were expecting it to be this big, but were you expecting it to be the world record breaking pumpkin? I wasn't. I, I actually, I've never set a really, really like brick type of pumpkin on the scale. Okay. In fact, I don't even think I've went over 5% heavy to the chart. And this one just went boom, you know, 16, 17, 18% heavy. So that was nice. So it's in a trailer right now. It's on top of kind of like a pallet, a bed. How do you get it on this? How do you transport it everywhere? So there's a special harness that we use to pick it, and it's a bunch of straps that go over it, and then a rope that's tied around the bottom, and then you lift it with the machine onto the pallet. And that's the most stressful part of the whole project because if there's any mouse hole underneath it, any rot, you're done. You're DQ. So it goes from $30,000 to zero. That's scary. That's definitely like you, you've gotten it this big, you've gotten it this far, and now it's... Here's all the technicalities. Yeah, yeah, that's the most nerve-wracking thing. You know, 184 days of work coming down to one minute of lifting. And then we had 148, eight, or yeah, 184 days of work coming down to the scale reading, too. So, And that's amazing, 184 days of work. Yeah. That's it. And there, here's this huge thing. Yeah. Monstrous. Yeah. <laughs>
I can't believe it takes that little time to grow this size. Right, and it'll do most of it in 60 days. So at its peak, it's growing almost 70 pounds a day, three quarters of an ounce a minute. Oh Think my about gosh. That. How do you, like you just walk outside the next morning and you're like, oh yeah, it's like a few feet bigger. Yeah, it'll grow about four inches in circumference, maybe five inches in circumference a day at its peak, which is huge. Wow. Are you looking to break your own record? Yeah, in fact, I think this would have been the small one this year. Um, no. My other plant went down, or my other pumpkin went down at 2,222 pounds, growing 43 pounds a day. So she was getting there. Yeah, so I figured in a couple weeks I would have been about what this one was, but I still had a month to go. Eminence Ashley Walker and Travis Ginger. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Minnesota Matters. Be sure to join us again next week on this MNN affiliate station. Same time, same place. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Tasha Radel.